Hello, welcome to Claret and Blue. My name's Dan Rowan, so I'm joined here by John Townley. This morning, as you're watching this, I'm saving this till Saturday morning for this to be uploaded, although we're recording it late on Friday afternoon. Uh, our Inside Bodymore show to look ahead to Wolves at the weekend back in the Premier League. Now, as we said, after the Warsaw game, not quite Inside Bodymore. John, you've not been there today. Do you want to just explain what the press conference situation is after these European nights? Yeah, so after the... I mean, only two European games, proper European games, not including Kibbs. Um, after those games, they have the Premier League Productions team that go into Bodymore and do a mini press conference, but they ask quite a few questions. So that kind of covers the press conference for the weekend Premier League game because I think if you did like a proper full press conference, you'd be getting like four or five um, different presses over the course of a week that Emery would have to <laughs> answer questions in, which is probably quite taxing because um, you have to do broadcast and written. It takes half an hour, 45 minutes. So, uh, yeah, that's why there was a, a shorter press conference today, but still lots of um, snippets and bits to talk about. Let's get into it then and talk about the press. As we said, we're filming this on a Friday, so we're probably going to say things like today, meaning Friday, and the game. Sunday when for people watching this it's obviously tomorrow so excuse us for tripping ourselves up a little bit now what are the key kind of talker points from the press for you I must admit I've not seen as much as I would like to before we jumped on to record this show but that's why I'm here to ask the questions and and get information out of you instead Uh, so what was your kind of main takeaway from from what Emery said I think the injury news was was the sort of main talking point Diaby Mm -hmm. and Kamara there wasn't a whole lot of information to go off um when Emery spoke to the media on Wednesday afternoon ahead of Zerinsky, um, we knew that Diaby and Kamara had a bit of pain when they came off against uh, Brighton late on, but I did think that would have been only a precaution. But as it turns out, they obviously haven't trained uh, this week. They will train today on Saturday. <laughs> They will train today and they'll be assessed. So it's like a late fitness test for them both. Um, they could both be in the squad. They could both start. They could both not be in the squad. And mm-hmm. we'll find out when Team News comes out at one o'clock on Sunday. Um, but it'll be a massive boost, I think, if either one of them is in the squad. I think Kamara, I always say it, but I don't think you can actually replace him in the eleven. I know yeah. you have Dendonga who can fulfil... A certain role in a kind of a defensive um in a defensive capacity but Kamara is by far and away a, a better player than Dendonka and he does it in a different way as well I think he's um he breaks play up more often he's more energetic and he gets around the pitch a bit a bit longer um than Dendonka can and obviously Diaby is a top talent one of the best players in the Premier League in that position in my opinion so yeah either one of them if they can come back and play at least some part of that game I think that's a big boost for Villa but they're playing a Wolves team that don't score many (laughs) touchwood don't score many goals Um, I know they beat Man City last in sorry uh, last weekend but Mm -hmm. the results haven't been great and it's certainly a team that Villa should be beating really if they have aspirations to get into the top five this season however we know that Playing at Molyneux hasn't been um, a kind of a happy hunting ground for Villa recently. Mm-hmm. You know, things change, don't they? And hopefully this weekend that will be um, hopefully some free, uh, free important points. Yeah, I'm wary of saying things now like this is a side that we should be beating because we're starting, obviously we won on Thursday night, but we, we're starting to get our fingers burned by a little bit by saying things like that it's never as easy as you think Ooh. if you do win. So no. I don't think we should beat Wolves because it's not as simple as that. But we should be beating them though. Yeah, Villa, yeah, it will be saying it. 
True, like I'm not saying Villa will win. I think there's a big difference, but Villa, a team, let's not say Villa, a team that wants to get into the Champions League should be beating a team that will be fighting relegation this season. Put it that yeah. way. Um, yeah, but it's but, got that local derby element, hasn't it? And we're not good against yeah, them and traditionally, and that adds a little bit of extra kind of context to it, I guess. Yeah, but for sure, when the fixtures come out, you look at Wolves and you, you're targeting six points against them uh, in this current makeup of Villa team and Wolves side. Um, recently, Villa have been second best to Wolves in terms of um, you know league finish and league finishes and all sorts. So yeah, that, those tables have turned now, and Villa do need to go to Molyneux and apply themselves and take control of the game, which is what they didn't do last season. Although they had a few chances, I think Mings missed a great chance. Watkins did he miss a penalty? Molyneux last season or he missed a good chance I can't quite remember I think he the post maybe I, maybe that was a different game but I know Villa had chances to win the game and they, they gave away a cheap goal I think it's Totti Gomez won it from a corner I believe yes. or a set piece yeah, yeah. so yeah poor result last season uh, but I'm quite confident actually and Kamara and Diab if they are back that'll be um, you know two big boosts Do you think there's anything in the fact that Wolves have obviously not played Midweek, they're just coming off a win against Manchester City. Although you know, probably well, that is a good. Re- obviously, that's a good result. But obviously, they they played in a in a game where Man City have had lots of chances. Wolves have had, I think, three shots and scored two. So, you know, kind of a what's the phrase? Smash and grab, I suppose. More so than they've, they've dominated. Much like Villa, the opposite were very very good against Brighton. But we've had that extra midweek game again as well in Europe. Do any of those things have a bearing on? how this game might play out, that they're more well-rested or or anything like that? I think that's what you'd probably take from it. I don't actually think them beating Man City has much of a bearing on this game because they're going to play it differently. And Man City are, as Gary O'Neill said, probably the best team in the world right now. So you can't line up or do exactly the same game plan as Man City and treat that game the same as Villa. I think actually the onus will be on Wolves to try and beat Villa because they're at home, as you say. It's It's a big rivalry. I don't know whether it's bigger for them than what it is for us, especially because they're at home, though. In terms of our result against Brighton, again, I don't think that's too much bearing because you're just going to... Emery treats every game in isolation um, and playing Wolves, well, it's a different game plan. It's a different match. And Emery said in his presser today that on Friday that he was thinking about how Villa can compete and beat Wolves basically from the minute that the referee blew the full-time whistle against Mostar on Thursday night. And... I uh, I don't um, doubt that for a minute, to be fair. <laughs> he probably was thinking that. And he, he has said as well that Wolves will be tough and the players that have been here uh, for a few years haven't won at Wolves. It's not just last season that they didn't perform particularly well or get the result that they wanted. So it will be a very difficult game. But I think, as, as I say, if Villa apply themselves and they take their chances, they'll be okay because I can't see Wolves scoring. I know they scored twice against City, but if Villa don't make mistakes at the back and don't afford those opportunities, Wolves rarely score more than once in a game anyway so um mm. yeah it's certainly a game that villa can win and if they do i believe they go into the top four and will spend um obviously the duration of the international break in in there as well wolves it feels like and i don't know whether there really is anything in this feels like they step up their game against villa because of the occasion particularly at, at molyneux you say about them don't score a lot of goals and i think generally over the course of the season you do think that they're not a great side but uh, that man city result probably does skew that a little bit well that's probably recency bias isn't it to use uh Gareth southgate's terms uh the front three dangerous though for, for wolves there that's probably the, the key area of the pitch for them their forward lineup 
particularly uh, Neto out wide. Uh, he's a very, very good footballer and, and a player that's beyond the abilities or beyond the potential of where Wolves can finish. He's a, a top six player, I, I think. And he's probably one that if Villa are to get anything from this game, if you can shut him down and stop his uh, avenues going forward, Villa should hopefully get a bit more joy. Yeah, that is the concern because he's playing um, on a side of a pitch where Villa have struggled this season. Um, I think Luke Dane's been excellent going forward and his numbers are you know, he puts himself amongst the most creative fullbacks in Europe in terms of making chances. But going the other way, we have been caught out in that pocket between uh, Pau Torres and Dean. And obviously, that's where Pedro Neto enjoys uh, to exploit most, if that makes sense. Uh, Cunha, as well, is a very athletic player, not a player that's going to score 15 goals a season, but he's a handful and he's powerful. Uh, Huang, as well, has been good in recent weeks. So mm. they are uh, dangerous and they will cause problems for Villa. They're not particularly, again, touchwood. They're not particularly clinical. However, they will pose problems. And I, it, in a weird way, I think Villa being on guard, I don't quite have to say it, but Villa being aware of that threat might even help them to be. We know we're going to a, um, uh, a stadium that we haven't won at in a few years. And we're playing a team that, as I say, will probably be fighting relegation this season. But it's also a team that we know can cause problems and the just haven't shown it necessarily throughout the start of this season and last season. But they will be on guard Villa and they know that they're going to a difficult place. So I don't think they'll take it lightly uh, just because Wolves haven't had a great start to the season. And to be fair, that Man City result does, you know, kind of amplify that. City did miss a few chances, but when you're going to beat City, um, you're never going to play them off the park or win uh, 3-0 and not kind of suffer in the game. Um, yeah. Villa might have to suffer at parts in, in times tomorrow, but I think as long as they control it, um, and they keep um, a good uh, shape, a, a good positions, good distances between their players. So Neto and Huang, Cunha don't run beyond them so much in the match and cause too many problems. I think they'll be okay. Do you think we're maybe at risk of being caught by the high line that Villa play against that's, us? That you've mentioned, that's the danger area. Exactly that. That is the danger area. And I'm pretty sure Gary O'Neill's uh, preparation for the match will be playing on the counter-attack. Again, that's something that Villa will be wary of, but they won't change. And Emery said that in every press conference, especially after matches where Villa have been caught out from the high line, which is in most games, uh, whether mm. they concede goals from it, you know, specifically uh, doesn't happen all the time. But they, um, even one counter-attack uh, on Sunday against Wolves will get the fans up. You know, if Neto goes, um, race is clear, but it's offside. Do you know what I mean? Even that can get the fans up. So yeah, yeah, it is yeah. going to be a, a dangerous game that Villa will play. But we're talking about Unai Emery, who's one of the most experienced managers in the Premier League, one of the most successful in Europe. So he knows exactly what he's doing. And um, as long as his players carry out the game plan and play to their best abilities, so I think I think they, they can certainly win the game. Just on to the rest of Emery's presser very quickly. I wanted to speak about Ollie Watkins because Emery spoke about him earlier in his press conference. But thankfully... Good timing from us doing the podcast. Villa have literally just announced that Ollie Watkins has signed a new long-term contract at the club. It's great news, isn't it? That and We've been talking about it for weeks and weeks, how much we like him and how much this contract news needed to happen sooner rather than later. To tie Ollie Watkins down at the age of 28, is he, I think? A player 27. That should be 27. A player that's in his prime to sign a five-year contract and commit the, the the best kind of parts of his career to Villa. That's exactly what we wanted and that will hopefully give him a further confidence boost now to take into these next run of games coming up to, to start bagging some goals. Yeah, important to do it before he goes away with the England squad as well because yeah. you know, 
we know what happens there. Obviously, it's no secret that the club have been in talks for some time. They found a breakthrough uh, recently, and now everything's been signed. So, yeah, fantastic. Um, Watkins is a player that I think a lot of Premier League clubs would uh, sacrifice a lot for to get him on board in their squad yeah, yeah. because not just um, of the amount of goals that he scores, and he scores a lot, but again, what he brings off the ball, what he brings as a character, he's always looking to improve. We always knew um, that Dane Smith uh, wanted to sign him because of those specific reasons. He saw a high ceiling for him and he helped him in his development. And Uno Emery's taking that on a step further. The uh, individual performance coach that's in Emery's uh, backroom team, Rodri, he works with him. Uh, closely uh, on a daily basis and Watkins often stays late at Bodymore after training not necessarily working with a ball out on the training pitch but doing analysis studying top strikers including Erling Haaland um, yeah a top player that Villa have in their ranks and someone who will as you say Dan be spending the best years of his career at Villa Park and that's quite something considering that he's got double figures in all of the Premier League campaigns he's um, spent with Villa over 100 appearances now and of all players to have made over 100 appearances for Villa Watkins has the best Premier League goals per match ratio um, of them all so that proves what a what a top striker um, we have on our hands and that we will be um, lucky enough to uh, have in the squad for years to come as well yeah, and we all know how football contracts work. Just because he signed a five-year deal doesn't necessarily mean he will be here for the next five years. Um, but if he's here for another couple of seasons, he will break that yeah. that the top goal scorer record that Gabby Bonlahor currently holds because he will get 15 this season and around the same mark for the next couple of seasons as well. So he will become Aston Villa's top goal scorer in the Premier League. I'm pretty convinced of that. He is one of the few players left that we signed back then who hasn't had increased... Uh, haven't had a new contract since then. Ezra Collins has signed around the same time. He's had new deals since. Emma Martinez signed at the same time as, or the same window as Watkins, and he's had new deals. Mike Cash has had new deals. Douglas Louise has. Uh, John McGinn as well, even slightly earlier, but he's had new deals since Watkins won. Of like, oh, he only signed a contract in 2020 and he's not had it re- redone in, in three years. Was starting to become a talking point in itself of, well, if he hasn't had one by now, he probably doesn't want one. So the fact that, that all that has been now put to bed with a contract to 2028, in theory, could keep him at the club from 2020 to 2028, which, as we said, probably isn't going to happen. But the principle is there that he's committed essentially the best years of his career to Aston Miller. Yeah, and that is a, as I say, it's a big statement as well because there's no shortage of interest in a player like Ollie Watkins from top clubs. And it's good to see that he has kind of... Um, that he can see that Villa are going in the right direction as well. Uh, obviously, we are in Europe this season, but we have aspirations to not just play in Europe for one season. We want to be playing in the Champions League in a couple of years uh, under Unai Emery's management. And Watkins is clearly a big part of that. And uh, like when Tyron Mings was given a new contract, was it earlier this year, I believe? Mm. Um Again, it's a sign to those players that Emery comes in the building, he assesses everything and he values the players that were here under Steven Gerrard, players that were bought by Dean Smith. What Villa didn't have in Steven Gerrard really was that uh, appreciation of here's what I've got and here's how I'm going to make them better. And that's exactly what Unai Emery's done. Um, And he hasn't just made them better. As I say, he's he's believed in them and they are now front and centre of this project. And Ollie Watkins is leading the line for Villa 
there's always calls every summer that Villa need a new striker, but it's so hard to bring in a player that can do what Watkins can and more, um, especially when you're a team like Villa who aren't in the Champions League. If Villa want to spend 60, 70 million on a striker, which is, let's be honest, that's how much Ollie Watkins costs in the market these days. Those players don't come to Villa because they are Champions League quality already. So yeah, Villa have that player in Watkins, in my opinion. Yes, squad depth might be an issue. Um, but they've got a top number nine and an England international as well. Away from Ollie Watkins then, we're going to return to a bit of bad news instead and go to the, the injury update you mentioned earlier in the show, which we have had a little break since the Watkins contract. So it feels like a long time ago for us, but about 10 minutes ago, we're speaking about Kamara and DRB you know, possibly being back in the squad for Sunday. Somebody that won't be in the squad, sadly, is Jacob Ramsey, who's uh, suffered a setback with his injury, all stems from playing in an under-21 tournament for England, which is an extra frustration. Um, but do you want to just explain a little bit about about what's happened to Ramsey? Yeah, so it's a reoccurrence of the metatarsal uh, issue, injury even, that he, as you say, Dan suffered on, the, on duty with England, I think it was like the 7th of July. So it kept him out for about two months or just over, in fact. So it is a real blow that he's now going to face. Not potentially that amount of time uh, on the sidelines again you're looking I think it's more towards the six to eight week mark um, which actually is about two months isn't it um, all in all so yeah it, it's not uh, it's not good news and yeah we're looking at quite a few weeks that Ramsey won't be available for Villa which is going to take him up until you know um, the busy kind of festive period I suppose that December mark huge blow and it's really frustrating because I, I thought actually even though he was even though he had pain in uh, performances that he played against uh, Chelsea, against Brighton. I thought he played really well. Yeah, it's just uh, it's a crying shame that he's now going to miss even more of the season. I put him down at the start of the season as a player I think was going to um, really kick on and kind of come into his own yeah. and go up another level, which I still think he can do because there's a massive proportion of the massive portion sorry, of the season remaining. When he does come back after this setback, but... It's uh, yeah, it's, it's a big shame, and I, I think he was probably knocking on the door for England as well potentially because there's, there's a few injuries there at the moment. You're looking at Eze, a few players aren't p- performing for the club, so that doesn't seem to mean too much though um, at the moment and uh, for Gareth Southgate. But I think Ramsey was a player that he definitely admires coming through the under 21s as well. So yeah, big blow for Villa and really disappointing for the players all. And upcoming after the international break is West Ham on the 22nd October. Between then and the new year, there's 16 games across all competitions that Villa are in. I mean, even if Ramsey only misses six weeks, he's going to miss a lot of football because there's so many games in such a busy period. But there's a possibility that with the injury and the recovery time that it's taken so far, Jacob Ramsey might not kick a football for us in the remainder of the calendar year. It is a possibility. And obviously we hope it isn't that bad. Um, but you know, a recurring injury of a metatarsal it's not like he's going to be back within a couple of weeks, is it? No, no. No, you, you are looking at around that six-week period. It's a major blow because we've had the Buendia situation. Now it's Ramsey and Ramsey was a player that everyone kind of just, you know, oh, we'll be back at the start of September. Um, it was a bit, a bit later than that, but now Villa are having to get to use, uh, having to get used to not having Mings, not having Buendia, now not having Ramsey for a significant portion. Moreno as well, who had a setback. He'll be back, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, in training after the October international break and yeah it's so to be fair to, to see where Villa are especially in the league table um, it's quite something and 
yeah, it's just a shame that as you say, he's going to miss so many games, even though it's only weeks. But at this yeah. period of the season, especially, it's uh, it's a lot of games. But if he can get back fit and ready, and he's you know he, he's ready to go, you know, for the new year, uh, hopefully a bit before, that's when Villa are really going to have to put up um, put up a fight to stay in the European positions in the league and also go hopefully deep in the Conference League. So. All is not lost, but it's just uh, yeah, a real shame. Yeah, as you said, six weeks takes us pretty much up to the start of December, which I mentioned there between West Ham and the New Year is 16 games across all competitions. If he's back for the, the first game of December, he still misses eight games, which is you know, half of yeah. those, even with just a six-week injury. Um, but I'd rather he wasn't rushed back and he was back to full fitness before we throw him in because you don't want him to get a third injury in January or February. Once he comes back, we're going to need him for the remainder of the year. Huge blow, despite some good news for Villa at the moment. Beat Brighton, first European win, Ollie Watkins' new contract. It's kind of niggling injuries across the squad are starting to kind of take their toll a little bit. And yeah, huge shame for, for Jacob Ramsey personally as well. Let's go away from match day then and we'll keep this pretty brief because I want to talk about the Mostar game a little bit. Uh, obviously, me and Matt did the post-match show straight after the game last night about half 11 on Thursday evening. Um, if you've not seen that, you can obviously go back and catch our kind of raw thoughts on the game. I've not had a chance to see anything back to kind of develop a further, deeper look at, at what we saw on uh, Thursday night. So I just want to get a bit of a, a brief roundup of how you saw the game. Not the best football match, but a great result in the end. Yeah, I'll be honest, I did have mix, mixed emotions. Obviously, in the immediate aftermath, it was very much you know relief and joy that we won, especially in, in the manner of it. It's not often that um, you know, Villa Park will erupt like that in the 94th minute, so you've got to appreciate it when, when it happens. But I am concerned about um, rotation and the drop-off in performance. What I would say is in the second half, Villa actually played well, I thought. They peppered the Zerinsky goal and credit to um, credit to them. They didn't concede until the 90, uh, 94th minute and a lot of uh, Villa fans actually stayed on after the game to clap the Zerinsky players off. I don't know if many people saw that, um, but that was nice to see. Uh, but yeah, mixed emotions because that was a game that Villa had to win and I had no doubt they were going to win it. And I say that even after Villa lose to Legia and lose to an Everton side who are struggling at the foot of the Premier League table in the Carabao Cup. So I am concerned that going to AZ Alkmaar, for example, that's going to be very tough if mm. Emery makes, you know, four, five, six changes again. He made six changes for Mostar. And Villa just struggle when when those wholesale changes are made. And they shouldn't because those are players that are, you know, experienced in European football, Champions League players, international players. But whether it's you know the case of Yuri Tillemans comes on and can't fulfil exactly what Douglas Louise does, or um, Carlos comes in for other for another player and can't um, carry on that performance. I don't know. They're all good players in their own right, of course they are, but there is a drop off, and you just hope that as the season grows on, they'll kind of get used to playing with different players it's there's a number of reasons i think why villa are struggling at the moment when they make a lot of changes but i'm not seeing much to say or much to suggest that it will get better that's my only mm. issue um so yeah that you know as an outcome at home and away those are two huge games now villa are lucky really that the table is completely equal three goals uh, sorry three points for, for all the teams zero goal difference so it's kind of like a reset um, kind of take stock of where they are, but they've got a lot of work to do, I think, still to kind of prove that they can go deep and win the competition. If you had to pick 
of the rotated players, obviously take you know, Martinez as red as the guys that normally start, obviously being like, not that they were the best players, but we know what they offer. Of the players that were rotated in, so Tiedemans, Dendonka, Longley, etc., who of those stood out to you as being the best of the bunch that came in? Longley. I thought he was really yeah, good. Um, yeah. We didn't really mention him on Thursday night, but I thought no, he was very good in hindsight. That- yeah, he stepped into Palatiza's shoes with no issue. But again, it's one of those where um, I will say that it was Mostar and those players should be playing at that level. Um, so yeah, fair play. It's uh, what is only second appearance, I think, for Villa. Um, first appearance was at Legia. But what I would say on Martinez, Villa could have lost that game if he wasn't in goal. And I don't say that flippantly, that genuinely. They had a brilliant chance to score in the first half. They had another chance in the second half. This is before Villa got their goal. Mm-hmm. And I think that, again, that just goes to show you, you know, <laughs> how important he is. Um, and they were brilliant saves as well. They weren't, you know, he didn't just catch the ball. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, fantastic reflex saves. So, yeah, shout out to Martinez. And yeah, Longley, I thought was really good. Uh, and it's good to see Diego Carlos come back from injury and slot in. Yes. Um, I don't think it was his best game by any stretch of the imagination. But again, it just gives Villa options. <laughs> especially at this part of the season where they've struggled with so many injuries already. Yeah, it kind of helped prove the point that I made last week that you could rotate a lot of the players, but as long as Martinez plays, that gives you such a solid foundation that if the opposition do get through as a last line of defence, he's very good. And I think it would have been as simple to say that if Robin Olsen plays on Thursday night, I don't think Villa do win the game. But I kind of want to put all that to bed a little bit because we won the game. It was a decent atmosphere, mostly made up from the the noise from the away end. We won in Europe in the 94th minute. You've got to be happy with that. Let's turn our attention back to Wolves then and go through a predicted 11. I thought Bailey as well also played well on Thursday night and he probably has put himself in for a possible start um, for Sunday. Obviously, that's slightly dependent on what's happening with Diaby as well. If you had to run me through an 11 with the information that you've got at the moment... What would you go for? I think your back line, kind of as it were in the Premier League, um, Cash, Concer, Powell, Digne, Martinez in goal. Mm-hmm. Louise will obviously start. I'll put Kamara in there for now because I think he was called up to the front, uh, France national team as well, which would kind of go with the thing of he's probably okay to play. Maybe tomorrow is too soon, but we'll put him in. <laughs> if he's not playing, then I think he'll go with Dendonka just because I don't think Tielemans can do that defensive role. Yeah, exactly. And that might add something in Villa's favour. And then going forward, uh, John McGinn plays. It's an interesting one on Diaby because if Diaby um, isn't fit, then I would presume Zaniolo supports Watkins. But then if Mm. Diaby is fit, then you're looking at either Zaniolo plays off the right or Bailey plays off the right. So that's an interesting one. Maybe he'll go with Zaniolo just just so he can um, flip him and McGinn in the uh, during the match. I know he's done that before. He's played Zaniolo right and left. He's very versatile. So maybe it depends on whether Emery sees a weakness in the Wolves backline that McGinn can exploit, which would mean he'd play on the right-hand side and then Zaniolo left. Then, yeah, we'll wait and see. But it's difficult to really predict without knowing Diaby or Kamara's current state yeah. of fitness. What about Bailey off the left? Yeah, he moved to the left once Villa um, took off Luca Dean. So I wouldn't have thought he'd play on the left against Wolves just because Dean seems to have that uh, left-hand side locked down up until Moreno comes back and there's more competition there. And I'm quite happy with Dean actually moving forward. Again, defensively, I am a bit concerned about that pocket between himself and Paul Torres where Neto is going to operate. But it's a Premier League game. Wolves are going to have, you know, dangers. So are Villa. So we'll see how it plays out. 
Sadly, no opposition view this week. Again, my bad. It's been a mega busy week, as you would expect. I haven't had a chance to reach out to a Wolves reporter, though some literally work in the same... I know we don't work in an office anymore, but some work in the same office that we do, and it would have been quite easy to sort. We're recording this at five o'clock, or quarter past five now on a Friday. It's taken us well over an hour to get this far, and the show is probably only about 20 minutes long at this point. Not had a chance to get the Wolves reporter on, uh, which is a huge shame. No one cares really do about, about the opposition when it comes to a, a local rivalries. We had uh, kind of <laughs> conceded the fact that they've got a good front three, but the rest of the squad, Villa's quality, pound for pound, is better than Wolves. It's just the, the factors of we're not great at Molyneux. They are at home. They've just beat Man City. And that throws up the kind of local rivalry element as well. So this this isn't going to be easy at all. So we're going to turn our attention to end the show with predictions. Now, uh, the last one we did, obviously, we're not doing the European games. Uh, we both predicted that Villa would beat Brighton with 2-1 and 3-1 scorelines. So we're actually doing semi-decent with our predictions this season, to be fair. I've not predicted Villa to lose at any point in one of these shows this season. Uh, I've predicted Villa to win every game besides Liverpool, which was a 2-2 draw. Uh, you predicted uh, three draws throughout the seven Premier League games so far. No defeats for you either. Is that going to change? Are you going to be predicting a Wolves win here? No, not a Wolves win. Exactly um, me neither. Oh, it's difficult. I'm, I'm going to go with a one-all draw. I don't know. I, I think it's because Villa have struggled at Molyneux in recent years. And although a win would be a fantastic win, I just, uh, while we're seven games into the season, this will be our eighth game and we haven't drawn yet. That's kind of playing into my thoughts as well. I'll go with what I always do, predict Villa to win and say 2-1. I don't think it'll be a free-scoring game by any means from either side. And if Villa go there and get a couple of goals, uh, that should be enough to win the game, I think. Because I, I don't see Wolves scoring more than once is, is the prediction I will go with. Yeah. Uh, just very quickly, and I, di- I didn't want to do this too much, so I don't want to backtrack. We've obviously spoken about Ollie Watkins earlier. Since that part of the show, there's some quotes that have come out from Watkins. There's just one I want to read to end the show. He says, I've got some targets that I'm going to hit. Do you want to guess them, actually, John? Do you want to guess his target? Obviously, you've not seen this because it's only just happened. Do you want to guess what Ollie Watkins' targets are? Win a trophy and 20 goals in the league. Half right. He says, I'm going to break Gabby's record with the goals and I want to win a trophy. I feel like I can do that here and that's why I've stayed. So, two big things for, for him to become oh, a gonna... top goal scorer probably and win a trophy to... will be great. Probably have to hit 20 goals in a season, maybe. So, I'm, I'm yeah. going to give myself half a point actually <laughs> okay fair enough John we'll call it a day there thank you very much for joining me it's taken us an absolute age to record this for obvious reasons but uh, hopefully it's been pretty pretty seamless in the edit of the two or three sections that we've recorded here all stitched together as one enjoy the rest of your Saturday as you're watching this obviously the game is Sunday uh, we'll be doing a post-match show at some point Sunday afternoon Sunday evening I'm not sure who with yet and we'll return with the Monday show as always on a Monday despite it being international break and we'll kind of assess the season so far or something the uh, specific running order for Monday is yet to be decided so we'll work out what that show is on Monday thanks everyone for watching this one consider subscribing to Clark and Blue on YouTube if you enjoyed it Uh, leave us a 5 star rating on Spotify and if it's less than 5 stars don't bother thank you for listening or watching we'll see you very soon